we are 3-0, which was not the goals that we set out, but it's all we can control right now. Okay, so let's get back to work tomorrow, but enjoy it tonight. This was a special one, fellas. They all said you couldn't, and you did. Uh -huh. As the first thing hit, we could have checked out. We could have looked across and said, no, you know what? We're doing our thing today, but they ain't doing their job. Not one f***ing time. Enjoy this one. We know we got a quick turnaround. Okay, a team that's feeling really hot right now. The three no, but wouldn't want it any other way. Man, we got a team win. That's the ultimate team win right there. Oh, yes, it was for the Indianapolis Colts and everybody else who won on Sunday. Another crazy day in the NFL where every time we think we know, we quickly learn we don't know. I do know this. For the next two hours, we're talking foosball here on PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Miles Simmons, the usual Monday co-host now, even though it's 4.01 a.m. local time for him. I am back out of my normal habitat at 30 Rock. I, I didn't need to go back to Stamford today because Chris Sims continues to refuse to do the show on Monday, which is fine by me. I stayed in New York City this weekend, so I made the quick walk from the hotel over to 30 Rock. Four weeks after I said I'm never returning to New York City, I am back again. So much like the number of licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop Miles, which is three if you're familiar with that commercial. For me, yes. never means four weeks. Yeah, you are not Mike Tomlin, who once said, never say never, but never, right? That, that's not you. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm never going back to L.A. That's lasted yeah, longer that... than four weeks. <laughs> I'm still never yeah. going back to L.A. And I, I mean never when I say, except when there's another Super Bowl there. That would be kind of hard to do my job uh -huh. Uh -huh. I'm not back in L.A. I'll find a way to minimize yeah. my time in L.A. All right. Well, hey, great to see you. And another crazy Sunday in the National Football League. I am going to once again retire from picking all games, at least until Thursday. I don't even want to think about yesterday afternoon and evening particularly. But we're going to talk about all the big news coming out of the day. We are here on Peacock, Sirius XM 85. And, and I'm going to be diplomatic here. Because okay. we appreciate the fact that we have two hours of real estate on Sky Sports NFL every weeknight. We For a while, we were live at noon local time. Now, mm -hmm. my understanding is 6 o'clock. We're back on the fringe of prime time. I'm still not entirely sure why, and I'm not worried about that. Because the main goal here is to include the passionate NFL fans in the UK and Ireland, in our overall coverage, whether it's live, whether it's delayed, however that came to be, why I was told we were going to be live all season, and now I'm being told otherwise, I'm not worried about that anymore. Serenity now. We're just, we're happy to be able to bring the show to our good friends on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. All right, let's get to it. Mm -hmm. Down near the shores of the Atlantic Ocean, somewhere in the southernmost reaches of Florida. The Miami Dolphins hosted the Buffalo Bills yesterday. And look, the top of the league got their comeuppance 
in week three. The top three teams in the PFT power rankings that mean absolutely nothing to anyone, including me, all lost on Sunday, starting with the number one team in the NFL. The team of density. The team that looked like they were ready to win week after week after week after week, and how long can they get it? They ran into a buzzsaw in Miami. What a weird game that was, too. Statistically, you would think that the Bills did to the Dolphins' miles what the Bills had done to the Rams, and then a week ago to the Titans. But the Dolphins hold on 21-19. to 19. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Two-to-one time of possession. Twice as many first downs, nearly 500 total yards to 212, 90 offensive plays to 39, one punt for the Bills, and they still somehow lose the game. That's just one of those where I'm sure all week long, Bills fans and everyone associated with the team miles are going to be wondering what in the hell happened in Miami. Well, sure, but you had a lot of things that were going against the Buffalo Bills in that game. I mean, going into it, you're down so many guys. The injuries started piling up. You're down both of your safeties, one of them now, one of whom is now out for the season. I think mean, you have to deal with the heat. That heat was something serious. And honestly, it made me think, well, maybe Bill Belichick was a genius for going down there Tuesday in that opening week game to start things off because the players were able to get acclimated to the heat a little bit better. And you had guys on Buffalo's sideline getting IVs throughout the game. I mean, really star players who weren't able to complete that entire game for whatever reason. So there were a lot of things that were going against the Buffalo Bills, but they still had every single chance in that game to win it. And when you have 20 play drives, you know, 17 play drives, and you end up with three points out of both of those, then that's why you lose the game. That's why we see the ultimate result that we see. And obviously credit to Miami for doing what they did and doing the same thing that they've done in the first couple weeks of the season. They don't quit. They keep with it. When they need a big play, Tua Tungavailoa has been able to make it. You know, third and 22 and you convert that to Jalen Waddell. The, the Miami Dolphins are doing a darn good job right now. Oh, they absolutely are. And look, they found a way to win on a day when they weren't supposed to. And I think that is the mark of a team that is ready to be very good and ready to find mm-hmm. a way week in and week out to come close to winning, if not win, as many games as possible. On the issue of the Heat, now, there was a separate moment we're going to talk about coming up that has piqued the curiosity and initiated an investigation by the NFL Players Association. But I just wonder whether there are conditions that are too hot, where the humidity is too high. And and somebody emailed me yesterday, and I want to go back and watch the game and see this for myself, because it's nothing I've been curious about recently enough to even remember. And they've reconfigured the Miami stadium with the carport that's on top. I mean, it looks like a completely different venue than it used to be. And the main idea was to ensure that people who pay thousands of dollars for Super Bowl tickets aren't rained upon for three hours plus to get back in the Super Bowl rotation. However, apparently the, the sun lingers a lot longer on the visiting sideline than it does on the home sideline. And that Combined with the fact that and anytime guys are cramping up on a hot day, my first reaction is that's on them for not properly hydrating throughout the re- week. I remember 
Odell Beckham Jr. seemed to have that problem all the time early in the season. Cramps, he's got cramps, he's got cramps. It's like you're not properly hydrating because then you won't have cramps. And they preach, carry around the jug of water, drink water all day long leading up to the game. But when there's that many guys, like, is it a failure of the training staff in Buffalo? I mean, what prompted this widespread epidemic of heat-related issues yesterday for one team and not the other? And if I'm Bill's management, that's one of the – Top items on my priority list today. Find out what happened. Was it the individuals on the team failing to do what they needed to do? Was it training staff, medical staff failing to tell them what they needed to do? Or are there just circumstances where maybe it is too hot? Maybe it is too humid? You know, this has come up before. The NFL has said there are never conditions it would be regarded as too cold. I don't know if there are conditions it would be regarded as too hot. But at some point, it becomes a safety issue. And when we see what we saw yesterday, right. if we do care about player health and safety, and again, we have a specific issue of health and safety coming up, but if we truly care about it, if this is the flag that everyone associated with the game is going to wave, there is a point where it becomes dangerously hot and or dangerously cold. And I just feel like that's not on anyone's radar screen. Well, maybe it's not, but I guess it should be. And again, I mean, Bill Belichick, like I said, he took that team down there to Miami to try to get acclimated to the heat in a Tuesday in week one. Everybody's kind of like, well, that's weird. But at the same time, I don't believe the Patriots had those sort of issues on that Sunday. Right. So then when you see Buffalo and I talked to one of my buddies from Buffalo and he said that it was about 55 degrees throughout the week in Buffalo as they're preparing and you have to go from that to Miami where it's 80 plus and it's hot and it's humid. It is a real difficult change in circumstances from one day to the next. You go down there on a Saturday and then boom, all of a sudden that humidity hits you like that, that that's going to make it a little bit difficult for your body. That's just inherently true. I think so. Maybe they do need to look at what exactly was the cause of all the heat exhaustion because it, it, it can't just be one thing when you have all of the different players going down like that. I, I just don't think that it can be that bad without there being some sort of other circumstance where you're like, okay, this is, this is more of a team thing than it is an individual player thing. And you know what? It may be as simple as during the months of September and October, any team that plays in Miami gets at least a full week from their last game to this game. Because remember, the Bills played Mm. Monday night against the Tennessee Titans at home. So while you're recovering from one game, you're preparing to go play in a dramatically different atmosphere in Miami maybe you should get the full week. Maybe that should be the rule. And, you know, hey, there was a time where the NFL wasn't properly sensitive to the idea of short week football. You've got the team who's the road team on Thursday night. They're the road team on Sunday. So they've got to travel back from wherever they are home. And then they've got to travel to, you know, little things like that can help equalize whatever imbalance there may be. And there clearly was something. So maybe it's worth at least asking the question, when we know that the hot games are going to be played in Miami, give a team a full week to get ready, however they choose to do it. If they choose to go down on Tuesday, fine. That's the last thing the Bills could have done. They played on, on Monday night. Right. They're not going to pack up and go to Miami on Tuesday morning. So it's just something to keep right. in mind. We're always trying to help improve 
the situations and the circumstances for everyone so we get the best of both teams. I think that's what we ultimately want. May the best team win. May both teams be in position to put their best foot forward. Now, the Dolphins were able to put their best foot forward, Miles, in the second half of the game because Tua Tagovailoa was cleared to return after a moment in the first half that caused everyone, everyone to assume that he had suffered a head injury. He's pushed to the ground late by Matt Milano. And I've gotten some emails from some angry Dolphins fans saying that Milano should have been ejected. And it didn't look like a horrible thing. And this is the moment that really got everyone's attention because he hit his head against the turf. He's wobbly twice. They held him up the second time. He stumbled. They held him up. And I was watching this in real time. And, and of course, you look at it and say, it's done. It's It's over. He's not playing again today. Straight to the locker room. Anytime there's gross motor instability, those are the three words under the concussion protocol that apply there, the wobbliness. You go straight to the locker room for the evaluation by a team physician and the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, which is a fancy mouthful for saying independent doctor who isn't under any influence from the Dolphins organization to give the thumbs up to let the guy get back. And again, that's one of the things the league realized 13 years ago when they had their concussion epiphany. Probably not a good idea to let somebody who's on the payroll of the team be in a position to up or down whether or not guys come back in a given game. You want an independent voice involved in this process. So they, they decided that he would be allowed to play. And let's just set the stage for what we're going to discuss next, Miles, by hearing directly from the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, on what he thought about the injury or not that he saw Tua Tonga-Bailoa suffer. When he hit his head on the ground, I assumed it was a head injury, um, but uh, his, his legs got wobbly because his lower back was um, completely and uh, loose. And as he described it, it was like a um, he said it was the lower back. Uh, it was like Gumby or something. It was like Gumby or something. Look, as somebody who has periodic back issues, I've got a sacroiliac joint that gets out of line. And, and I was talking about it Saturday night. Hey, it only happens to me once every couple of years. And boom, it happened yesterday morning. My lower back doesn't feel like Gumby. It's, it feels like it doesn't want to move. It feels right. like Gumby who's frozen solid and can't Mm -hmm. move at all. So this is the real problem here, and this is what we're trying to drill down on. Because I immediately, when we saw him come back into the game in the third quarter, thinking, are they showing highlights from the first half? No, he's back on the field, in the game. How did this happen? Immediately got in touch with the league. I need to know, because we need to explain on Football Night in America how this happened, Miles. And when there is that gross motor instability... The independent, unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, got to get it right, and the team physician look to see whether or not the gross motor instability has a neurological cause. And if they conclude it doesn't, they let the guy play. And my question, Miles, how do you determine that it's not a neurological cause? What, what's your objective criteria, if there is any? Is it as simple as asking the player why you were wobbly? Is this the, the next level, how many fingers, two is that, what, is that where we are, that the player just says, oh, it was my back, it's not a concussion? Because we know the player wants to play. That's the biggest issue here. The player wants to play. The player's going to do whatever he has to do to get back on the field. 
And I've been trying to get an answer, and I've gotten none yet, as to what the independent physician and the team doctor look to to come to that conclusion. Because it can't only be what the player says. Certainly. Uh, Certainly not. And I would expect that it's not. But I think when you have that situation where he does go straight to the locker room, and the other part of it is that it was announced as a head injury, and then all of a sudden it's a back injury, it becomes, wait a minute, what exactly happened here? And that is also a part of where the confusion came in, because the Miami Dolphins announced it, not only in the press box, but to the world on Twitter, as a head injury. And when the head injury becomes a back injury, it's the question becomes, well, how did the head injury become the back injury? And I don't know exactly what went on down there in the bowels of Hard Rock Stadium, but in some way, that's what they determined. And so then you see Tua Tungavailoa playing in the second half. And I guess the one thing that, I don't know, maybe makes me feel a little bit better if I can about the situation is I remember there were different parts of the the world or the games or whatever you want to call them that I've seen it where Colt McCoy for instance in 2011 where he gets rocked by James Harrison and he stays in the game even though he looks like a a rag doll out there on the field that's not something you want to see it was a similar thing that happened with Case Keenum in Baltimore for the Rams in 2015 where he was lifted up and then he's still falling down and somehow didn't get examined immediately. And those are the kinds of things that you don't want to see. So at least in this situation, Tonga Vailoa did at least allegedly get evaluated by the independent doctor whose full title I am going to butcher right now. So I'm not going to say it. So there's at least something there where you can point to and say, this should have been done by the book, but was it actually, we don't quite know yet. Unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. I know that because I was determined to get it right last night on Football Night in America, and I was scared to death that I was going to forget it or babble incomprehensibly when the time came to say those three magic words. Now, here's what happens. The NFL Players Association exercises its prerogative to conduct an investigation. The league and the union will work together to talk to everyone involved, the doctors, the player, whoever they need to talk to. And it'll take a week or two, typically, to come to a conclusion as to whether or not the protocol was followed or whether or not it was violated in some way. I'm told every time they've done this, they've reached an agreement through the process of doing the investigation that it was or it wasn't. And there have been times they've concluded that it wasn't. There will be fines potentially imposed on the team. They have changed out the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant from time to time. They've decided the person wasn't sufficiently vocal, wasn't sufficiently assertive in doing the job that is expected of that person. And they've made tweaks to the policy and the protocol to try to close loopholes and prevent things from happening again. And look at it this way. You create a protocol. You've got 256 previously, now 272 regular season games per year where this can happen. How many times does it come up in a season? How many opportunities and occasions have there been to identify potential flaws where improvements could be made to the protocol? And this may be one. Coming up with some sort of objective test, if there is one, to counter the player saying, 
oh, no, I was wobbly because of the back that I injured in the first quarter that I didn't tell anybody about, and the team didn't say he's probable to return with a back injury. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking off the field after banging my head on the ground, that's when my back goes wobbly, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I just struck my head on the turf. There's got to be some other way to handle that situation. Now, they take him to the locker room, and obviously he was cleared. They did everything that they do to test a guy to determine whether or not he has a concussion, should play or shouldn't play. But it's just one of those, Miles, you know it when you see it. And even though they did take him to the locker room and evaluate him, it just felt like to those of us who watch a lot of football and understand the human dynamic, it felt like something that shouldn't have happened. So that's where it's going to be incumbent on the league and the union to figure out what happened and and find a way to help us all understand. That's all we want to do. This isn't an anti-Dolphins thing. You know, you got the Dolphins saying, oh, you're trying to keep two out of the game. You want us to lose. No, I, I, I don't want Tua to suffer a second head injury if he already has a first one because we know that is when you are susceptible to a very serious outcome. And there are still high school players who die every year. One happened Fairly recently, somebody sent me the link to it. It happens because there isn't the same level of sensitivity. Someone has a head injury. They're allowed to keep playing. And that second head injury is the one that can kill them. That's what the NFL has been concerned about for 13 years now. So that's why it's an issue. And that's why we're all conditioned to believe when we see that guy's not coming back. So we'll find out. We'll find out. And hopefully they agree. Hey, they can have an arbitration over this. There could be a grievance. That's never happened. But it could be that the league says everything was fine and the union says it wasn't and they have to hash it all out. I don't think the league wants to do that. I don't think that's a good look for anybody. But obviously what happened yesterday, it just looked like something that viscerally we would say he should have not come back into the game. And they got some work to do to convince all of us why he was allowed back in the game, Miles. One thing that I also would say about the way Tungabaloa hit his head against the turf is that he hit his head against grass and it wasn't field turf. And when that happens, there's a difference. And this is part of the reason why players like playing on grass so much more than they like playing on turf, because there is more natural give in the surface. So you don't necessarily have the same type of injury that can occur when your head bounces off that turf because it then is going to a layer of something much harder than it is when you bounce your head off of grass. Now, bouncing your head off of anything is not an ideal thing to do, and I'm not saying that it is, but I think that's one other element of this that may have made it safer for Tonga Vailoa than it would have been had that game been played in, let's say, Buffalo, where there is field turf as opposed to that natural surface of grass. And... The, the other thing, too, and this was pointed out by the game broadcast, the whiplash effect as Tua's head snapped down there. It may not have been the impact as much it is the, the dramatic and rapid movement of the head because right, yeah. no matter what you put on the outside to protect it, a quick and abrupt change of direction causes the brain to move inside the skull and strike the inside of the skull where it has nothing to do with the blow to the skull and everything to do with the blow to the brain to the inside of the skull. So it doesn't matter. You can have the best helmet in the world. And when you have a rapid change of direction, a whiplash effect with that head, that's when you can get 
a brain injury. So, hey, we're, we're just trying to understand what happened. And I think I've been incredibly diplomatic about it. The league has yet to respond to my very specific question of what do you look at other than the player's version of, no, it's not my head, it's my back, to come to the conclusion that right. the gross motor instability was unrelated to a potential neurological condition. And if it is, well, he checked out fine, then why does gross motor instability even matter? Well, he checked out fine. He had gross motor instability, but he checked out fine. That's different from that gross motor instability had nothing to do with what happened when we saw his head whip back and hit the ground. That, that's the very fine point here that's going to be resolved by this investigation. And good for the union to stand up and do what's right, even when the specific union member paying dues for union protection would say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was fine. Don't make a big deal about this. I was fine. I was fine. It was my back. So it's kind of an awkward situation for everybody, but hopefully, Miles, they get to the truth. And here's a hard truth for the Buffalo Bills. How about this? This is a, a jarring stat to me, and thanks to Courtney for plugging it into the sheets that help guide us from one topic to the next. Since the start of last season, the Bills have had six games, Miles, decided by eight points or fewer, and they have lost every single one of them. So for the Bills, and maybe this is why we saw them do what they did to the Rams and the Titans, they have to kick your ass or they aren't going to have enough points to win. Yeah. Well, that's one of these interesting things, right? Uh, you don't look at the Bills and think, well, they can't win close games. But it seems circumstantially they don't really do it that often. And they're not in close games all that often. But when they are, it seems like the one little thing here, one little thing there, and it just doesn't work out. I mean, you see Josh Allen right there where he misses that pass at the end of toward the end of the game and his footwork isn't quite right and you don't know if that has to do with the heat or maybe it has to do with something else that was happening on that play, but you do not expect to see Josh Allen Tim Tebow a pass right there into a receiver. Oh, Tim Tebow catching a stray. <laughs> well, is that not what happened there? I mean, you don't expect that. Josh Allen is, is a good enough arm to be able to get that pass there, even when his footwork is not quite right. And so I don't expect to see that from Josh Allen anymore. I mean, that was the kind of thing we saw from Josh Allen when he got in the league. Now, that's 2018 Josh Allen, 2019 Josh Allen. That's not 2022 Josh Allen anymore. Certainly wasn't 2021 Josh Allen. So if those are the kinds of things that are going to happen in those close games, then, yeah, that's part of why you're going to lose. And the Bills still had one more chance to try to win the game with only a field goal because trailing 21-17, the Bills held the Dolphins, and the Dolphins ultimately had to punt. We'll get to that fateful punt in a moment. Here is the last play of the game. Isaiah McKenzie can't get out of bounds. There's Sean McDermott. Wind the clock. He would like the clock to talk, uh, tick even faster. Talk tick as opposed to tick tock even faster. Josh Allen cannot get the playoff, cannot get it spiked, and that's the end of the game. It's a shame when it happens, but hey, that's what happens when the clock strikes all zeros. Josh Allen exhausted. You know, one of the guys who probably was feeling the effects of the heat, but, but found a way to force himself to keep going. Not that I'm right. faulting any of the ones who didn't, but Allen probably didn't have a whole lot left. 
by the time, obviously, the end of the game. I think back to Kellen Winslow Sr. after that playoff game all those years ago. I mean, you are out there in the heat for a long time, and it doesn't go your way, and you gave everything you had. And credit to the Bills. And, you know, I feel like at times they expect Josh Allen to do too much because he can and because he will. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And it's a shame they didn't have a shot for a Hail Mary or a long field goal. But uh, it's, you know, the Bills have to figure out how to win these close games, Miles, because not every game is going to be a blowout. We saw what happened last year in the playoffs. Close game, 13 seconds. The ghosts of 13 seconds still linger into this season. And one of the concerns I had coming into the season, can the Bills handle the expectations, the pressure, the internal mandate, whether it's express or implied, to take this team to the next level. Through the first two weeks, it looked pretty good, but it's amazing how quickly that can turn. And, 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 and look, I, I know how I would feel if I was Sean McDermott. I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, that it's happening or not happening, but I look around the league and I've paid very close attention to how it works. There's a danger in getting close and never pushing through. The danger is your ownership becomes tantalized by how close you get. And at some point they ask themselves, is this person the wrong person to push us through to the top? How many times do we go this close before we say maybe it's somebody else that we need to go to here? Because we have a great team. All the pieces are in place. But we're here. We can't get to here. What do we need to get to here? We saw it happen with the Denver Broncos several years back. John Fox got the Broncos close. John Elway not happy with it. Not happy with how they lost in the division round a year after they went to the Super Bowl. Not happy with how they performed in that Super Bowl. Fox out, Gary Kubiak in, they win the Super Bowl the next year. I'm just saying that would be my worry and concern. And I wonder how much of that is contributing to the the stress. And hey, if you've been on social media at all in the past 18 hours, you saw the Ken Dorsey reaction and all the memes that are popping up and the funny captions. Ken Dorsey lost his, even though we're not live on Sky, it's going to take me a while to get comfortable saying it again, stuff. He he (laughs) blew a fuse after that game to the point where it was like, dude, dude, it's only a game, Fokker. I mean, he he was over the top. And it's just it's an embodiment of the pressure they're feeling to keep this thing going. And yesterday it was not going. It's it's a game of inches. And we always say that. But it's also these guys livelihood. I understand to a point why Ken Dorsey would react like that. But I also think like, gosh, man, we got to control our emotions at least a little bit. And there there was somebody in the uh, Bill's box that, you know, put a, a hand or something over that camera at the end there. So, you know, at least somebody had the wherewithal to do that when Ken Dorsey's throwing his temper tantrum like Tom Brady on the sideline against a tablet. But I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, it's like, the, the Bills did have a chance to win that game. They should have won that game. They had opportunities down at the goal line. They ran 90 freaking plays out there. I'm not too concerned if I am a Bills fan because this is something where you can point to the circumstances and say, okay, I understand this result. I don't like this result, but I understand this result based on the circumstances and everything that was going on. You still need to find a way to win. Absolutely. But 
I, I don't think the sky is falling or they can't handle the pressure. It's this or it's that because of what happened against a division rival and a hot day on a game where you didn't have a lot of people playing. They had dudes on the offensive line playing completely out of position and they still were able to give Josh Allen pretty good protection. So there are a lot of things I think to be encouraged by, even though you didn't get the ultimate result that you want. They go back to Buffalo, they pick up the pieces, and they go to Baltimore for their week four game to try to get Again. to three and one. Huge difference between three and one and two and two. The Ravens enter that game also two and one. That is a huge game that will have ramifications into January with playoff positioning, et cetera. Then the Steelers go to Buffalo. Then they go to Kansas City, the Bills do, for their showdown with the Chiefs. A 425 p.m. kickoff on Sunday, October 16th, and then they have a bye week. So three more games to get to five and one. And I think in their mind, anything less than five and one is a failure. And they probably had designs on going six and oh, the way they were rolling. I think that was the the rude awakening for the Bills yesterday. They made it look easy the first two games. Yesterday was difficult and oh and six now in games decided by eight points or fewer in the past two years. They had that last chance because of a moment that were contractually required to share with you and let you get a little bit of a laugh from. And the Dolphins can laugh about it now because they won the game. Thomas Morstead not laughing. And the guy who took a, a football right into a very sensitive region of his body probably not laughing either. The butt punt is in there calling it. Very creative. But what else would you call it? He kicked the ball into the rear end of his personal protector. When personal protection gets a little too personal, that's what happened. And uh, Mark Sanchez, whoa, stay out of my lane. He's referring to the butt fumble from 10 years ago, Thanksgiving night, Jets-Patriots game. Morstead had more space. You know, how many times have we seen the punter, like, standing with his back heel right on the stripe, knowing exactly how much room he has? Because he knows he has to get rid of the ball because everything in front of him is going to be in his face. You got to shorten your approach. You got to be back as far as you can be. There's adjustments you have to make when you're punting out of your end zone when the ball is being snapped because it's usually a 15 yard snap. Now all of a sudden it's 10, 11, or 12. You have to make adjustments. He didn't. He didn't. And, and that's what gave the, the Bills their opportunity because the ball goes out of the end zone. It's a safety. They're lucky it didn't pop around and have the Bills recover it. Then it would have been game over, basically. But, uh, Again, the Bills didn't win the game, so it's not as as big of a tragedy as it could have been. It's just something we can we can play from time to time and and have a little laugh with, unless we're one of the people who was directly involved in that calamity. Yeah, well, you're blaming Morrison, but what about the personal protector? Right? Don't don't keep backing up into the. I think both of them share a little bit of fault here. Because if you're the personal protector, you got to be protecting, man. You can't just back up, back up, back up when there's not much space to back up into. Morstead, I guess, could have you know, taken a shorter set as he's trying to punt it, too. But, man, you know, if you're going to be the personal protector, you got to protect. you got to step up in there. Be, you're going to be the hammer or the nail. That's what they used to tell us in high school when we were playing football and I was the worst linebacker of all time. Hey, you're going to be the hammer, you're going to be the nail. you got to go be the hammer in that situation. Go up there and block him. I was always the nail, which is why I played offensive line. Well, the problem for the personal protector in that moment was he's already received his punishment. So he, he, found, out, he found out the very hard way what happens when you back up into the path 
of the punter. Sometimes yeah. you get a, a football in a spot where you never expected a football to be violently leave launched. The, the uh, Chiefs probably feel like they had a football launched into a sensitive area yesterday after their experience Ooh. with the Indianapolis Colts. You know, sometimes, sometimes, and I, I refer to it as Correction Sunday. I didn't expect Correction Sunday to come this early. I thought this was an easy one. Chiefs have extra time. Never give Andy Reid extra time to get ready for a game. He takes full advantage right. of it. Andy Reid's not going to let his guard down in Indianapolis. For God's sake, they had a huge lead in a playoff game there a decade ago, and Andrew Luck led the Colts back. They're never going to go back to Indianapolis and, and step in that pothole again. They're going to be ready. They're going to blow them off the field. This one's going to be simple. The offense is firing in all cylinders. Um, nope. <laughs> the, Colts find a way. It was their home opener. And, you know, their first two games were on the road. They tie the Texans. It was a weird game. They stormed back from a 20-3 to deficit and forced overtime, and nobody was able to score in overtime. Okay, that's fine. And then they get blown out, shut out. Who gets shut out in today's NFL? That, to me, was the, like, they looked so bad against the Jaguars. These are the Chiefs, the Chiefs that everybody wanted to dismiss and through two weeks, like, hey, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. Uh, stunning to me. Stunning to me. Now, the Chiefs beat themselves. They, they had miscues. They had a missed point after touchdown, a missed field goal, a muff punt. They botched a fake field goal. Travis, Travis Kelsey drops a pass in the end zone. I, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this happened, but that's what games come down to, Miles. It's four or five moments, max, that go one way or the other. And when they go the other, the other team wins. That's what happens in today's NFL. The talent gap is too close to have that many mistakes, that many things not go your way and expect to win the game. That is a routine catch for Travis Kelsey that he drops. We don't see that very often from Travis Kelsey. And he's got his hands on his head because he can't even believe the fact that he dropped that pass. I couldn't believe it either as I was watching it. So, yeah, there were a lot of things where Kansas City absolutely beat itself against the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, you mentioned all of those different things, but that muff punt that happened at the beginning of the game with Sky Moore... That is really what gave Indianapolis an opportunity to even be in the game in the first place. You have a missed extra point by Matt Amendola. Harrison Bucker can't get back there quickly enough. I mean, when you have a fake field goal, I think a fourth and 11, it's not a very good call because you have to go so far in order to actually convert that thing. That to me says a lot about how little Andy Reid trusted Matt Amendola in that situation. And frankly, I don't know if they should have just put Justin Reid out there. I mean, at what point is that a better option than this kicker that you don't trust anymore? Because this is this is not right. This is not something that should be going on there, because even if that ball is completed, it's probably not going to work out. And you get this missed field goal here, too. So it just there were so many different miscues that the Chiefs had where I don't expect them to play like that usually. I don't expect to see them play like that again for maybe a really long time. Who knows if they will or they won't. But that's another one of those games where it's just like, man, oh, man, oh, man, you really should have had that. And if they don't get that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty by Chris Jones on what became what should have been fourth and 15 or whatever it was, it then becomes a 15-yard penalty on the sack. 
and they get a first down and they're able to keep that drive going and eventually Indianapolis goes down there and scores. That's the reason why Kansas City lost. It was just one thing after another after another. Yeah, in addition to the mistakes that we've already cataloged, Miles mentioned it. It was a moment where the drive was over. This becomes the game-winning touchdown. But Chris Jones, after sacking Matt Ryan on third and six, an eight-yard loss, it would have been fourth and 15, Chris Jones was deemed to have said something to Matt Ryan to cross the line. I tried my damnedest to find out what he said. Referee Sean Smith heard enough to cause him to throw the flag on Chris Jones. After the game, there was a pool report that basically reported nothing. And this isn't on Adam Teicher, who was asking the questions. If Sean Smith isn't going to say what was said, what do you do? He asked him what caused the penalty. The referee, Sean Smith, said it was abusive language towards an opponent. And that was it? Yes. Can you elaborate on what he said? No. But it will be in our game report. Did it involve profanity? It was just abusive language. Nothing more specific than that. Chris Jones privately declined to say what he said, but I'm told he was shocked by the fact that he drew a flag. He believes that his comments were taken out of context. Now, I'm always a firm believer that anytime anyone uses the phrase taken out of context, they're just trying to excuse whatever they said and they don't want to be responsible for their own words, but we'll see. And it'll be in the game report. And I've checked with sources in the league office. Do you know? I, I don't know whether people are being straight with me or not, but if I was working in the league office and I saw a moment like that that affects the outcome of a game, one of the first calls I make as soon as the game ends is to Sean Smith say, I need to know what was said. My own yeah. personal human curiosity, what the hell did this guy say to extend that drive and give the Colts a chance to win the game? I must know what it was because it sounds like it was the ultimate insult. Maybe I want to file it away for future use. I want to know what was said. And, and, yeah, and again, maybe they just don't feel like telling me, which is fine. But we're going to find out one way or the other. It will be reported by us or someone else. I must know what Chris Jones said to extend that drive. Because when it comes to taunting, the league will say that it's, it's demeanor, it's gesture, it's, it's how right. you physically present yourself. Right. And there was a time a few years back, Miles, where certain racial comments would get you flagged and fined. Remember Colin Kaepernick was fined at one point for using racially inappropriate language during a game. And, it, and, and that's kind of faded away. And as Coach Dungey says, hey, if you got a flag for everything that you said that you shouldn't have said on a football field, they never would finish a game. It would, it would be one foul after another if right. everything said that shouldn't be said drew a foul. So it had to be something pretty damn bad for Chris Jones to get that penalty, and we'll, we'll see what it is, and then we'll see whether or not we agree, Miles, that it was inappropriate. But Sean Smith thinks it was, and that's all that matters, and he's smart enough to realize that that, that call directly contributed to the outcome of the game. And honestly, when you watch games, you don't want penalties to affect the outcome of the game like that. And that, to me, is the biggest reason why you want to know exactly what Chris Jones said. Because, you, like you kind of mentioned there, when you see gesturing or guys like really getting in another person's face, going back and forth, then that's when you're usually like, okay, I understand why the flag was called. 
But in that situation, there just was not that seemingly big gesture, you know, where you have Chris Jones really getting in there in Matt Ryan's face and all that. I, I don't know. I, somebody put it up on Twitter, and I, it was one of the Colts reporters, and I can't remember who it was, but it, it was basically like, oh, Matt Ryan's best play of the day was getting Chris Jones to say whatever he just said in order to draw that 15-yard penalty. And frankly, I kind of agree. Because at that point, the Chiefs really would have had a chance to end that ball game with a Colts punt if they you know, fielded it cleanly, which I guess was not a guarantee based yes. on the things that happened earlier in that game. I know we need to move on, but can we show that exchange one more time? Because I think there's another way to interpret this. And maybe the referee... No, I'm just saying, if we are going to be concerned about demeanor and taunting, and we see flags get thrown for just standing over a guy and flexing, when you watch the whole exchange... You could arguably come to the conclusion that Chris Jones was menacing. You know, he's lingering on top of him. That I, I don't know. And, you know, see, he's in his face like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe. Nah. Nah. That, that wouldn't have been enough. Right there. Thank that's you. what I saw that made me think. Right. There's, yeah. There's, there's demeanor and body language that crosses the line. But Sean Smith, I, I'm not trying to make an excuse for Sean Smith. He said it was words, not actions, not body language. It was actual language. We must know what he said. And hopefully there'll be some transparency. Hopefully it won't be a concern when they find out what he said. Oh, that's not nearly enough. We're just never going to tell anybody what he said. I'll tell you one thing. Somebody in the NFL films office knows because quarterbacks are pretty much mic'd up, you know, for every single game. So (laughs) if Matt Ryan was mic'd up, then... Chris, whatever Chris Jones said was basically said right into Matt Ryan's microphone. So actually, I mean, because it was a one o'clock game, who knows if he was mic'd up or not. But that's one of those things where if he was, somebody in the NFL films office absolutely knows what Chris Jones said. I have a feeling Chris Jones didn't say to Matt Ryan, it's time to take you to the glue factory. I have a feeling that wasn't what was said. That would be something. That would be something (laughs) if that's what prompted that flag. All right. Uh, there was there were things said between Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy at the end yeah. of the half. And look, is it noteworthy when you see this kind of exchange? Yes. Is it the worst thing we've ever seen between a player and a coach? No. But there was something there. There was a little heat. There was a little friction. There was a little frustration that is playing out for all of us to see. It's like when mom and dad are fighting in front of the kids. You don't want the kids to see this. Something's not right there. Andy Reid comes over and says, no, no, now's not the time for this, Patrick. We can yell at each other in the locker room where the rest of the world can't see what we're doing. I I mean, I I saw the clip of that and I thought, yeah, this is what happens when things aren't going your way. This is what happens when you get frustrated. And it's not like he smashed a tablet. Or had a tummy tantrum, but but there was a there was a, a a dispute there, a disagreement there that needed to be hashed out. So I look, I, I think it's it is something that's worth mentioning because it's not what you normally see. No, it's not. But also, things weren't exactly going well for the Chiefs, and they had an opportunity to maybe do something at the end of the half. And it looks like that's what Patrick Mahomes really wanted to do. He didn't want to just settle 
for running the clock out. And Eric Bieniemy, if I'm a decent lip reader enough, yeah, it looks like he said, we're good. We're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And Patrick Mahomes wanted to keep his foot on the accelerator. After the game, Mahomes was basically like, yeah, coaches have to coach. They have to manage the game situations. That's what they were doing. I want to do certain things, but that's what the coach's job is to do, is to manage the game. So those are the kinds of things that sometimes happen over the course of a game, over the course of a season. You know, when you see something like that, it's just guys being competitive. I understand exactly why Patrick Mahomes wants to keep his foot on the accelerator. I also understand why Eric Bieniemy says, no, we're going to go into halftime and we're going to be all right. That, that's just one of those things that kind of happens. But don't take our word for what Patrick Mahomes said, as if you ever would. Here's Mahomes himself explaining the exchange that we witnessed between him and Coach Bieniemy. All I said was, I, I was I'm not going to turn it over. I'll get it out, try to get it to the sideline and get us a chance to kick a field goal. But, I mean, it's a tough situation. I mean, I'm me, I'm on the field. I'm playing. I want to always try to go score. That's who I am. Um, but that's their job is to make sure they manage the game the right way. And, um, I mean, we, we had multiple chances to win after that. We just got to be better in the second half. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes was not stellar yesterday, 20 for 35, 262 passing yards, a touchdown, a pick, and 26 rushing yards. And he's wired to, to get more, get more, get more. And they did have chances to win the game in the second half, and, and they just didn't. It was just one of those days. For the Bills, for the Chiefs, the top two teams in the NFL entering week three, it was just one of those days, which is a reminder that for any given team on any given Sunday, Monday, Thursday, or whichever day of the week they decide to play one of these games, it can be not your day. And it can be the other team's day. And the Colts had their day, and it was long overdue. They're now 1-1-1 one, one one after taking down the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, they were 0-2 last year. I think they were 0-3 last year, if I remember correctly, and there's a chance I don't. And they turned it around and almost got to the playoffs. So this is what they badly needed. They looked so bad, especially in Week 2. They needed this desperately to get things moving in the right direction. And now they are. We're moving in the right direction toward the end of the program, and we don't have a whole lot of time left, so we are going to motor through everything else you need to know about coming out of the third Sunday of the regular season, including, what a shocker, Lamar Jackson doing the things that we've seen Lamar Jackson do for pretty much all of his career. We'll discuss that when this Monday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this.